And uh, hey, everybody, thank you for tuning in. And uh, today I'm really excited to talk with Mr. Thomas uh, Kampidel. Uh, Thomas is currently working as a research fellow at the Bayesian Bodybuilding team. We have known each other now for a while, and we had the chance to meet at a conference in Amsterdam before. And uh, Thomas has done a lot of interesting research uh, on different psychological concepts, such as behavior change and the like, but we're going to get into all of these things. Thomas is also coaching people and um, is going to produce more and more content in the near future, has his own website. Uh, Thomas, did I miss anything important? Trivia? Uh, that sounds about right, yeah. I think you covered the most essential things, yeah. Awesome. So I'm really excited to talk to you because we are going to be talking about a topic that I wanted to have uh, guests on for a long time to talk about, and that is behavior change and kind of just the differences between people when it comes to personality traits and even subtle things that we don't normally think of. That's a really cool topic that I think a lot of people uh, could benefit from uh, learning about. So I guess my first question to you and then... Um, we can dig deeper from there on. But what I want to ask you first is, um, based on your research and based on the things that you read about, like, what do we currently know about personality traits and how people differ in them? Like, how much is it nature and how much of it is nurture? Because that's kind of the age-old uh, debate, right? Uh, yeah, that's an interesting question. And that there has been lots of research in various areas of psychology. And... Well, the most interesting studies in this regard would be twin studies, right? So you look at two twins and um, you see sort of they have the same genetics in essence and you put them in different life situations, different environmental uh, surroundings, right? Different schools, different uh, parents, different influences, different social circles. And then you see how similar do these people develop. And from there, you can make statistical models that uh, that tell you that it's about 50-50. So how fixed is your personality? It's about 50% is fixed and 50% is uh, sort of, yeah, uh, how should I say, is uh, changeable or formable or you can, you can do something about it. So I'd say that. Right. Um, okay, so, uh, so where should we, probably we should dig into this a little bit uh, further. So uh, when we are talking about uh something that is that is fixed versus versus changeable like how would this i don't know like just just so people can kind of conceptualize it how would this look like in practice so um how much how much can a person kind of transform him or herself in a sense if this question is not too vague no that's uh, fine um yeah practical example for example uh we know that top managers like the top leadership people are uh have very uh, high conscientiousness levels, right? So this is a behavioral trait that is fairly, how should I say, fairly, uh, fairly fixed throughout your lifetime. And it just means how well you are organized, how well you can execute the things that you set out to do, how well um, you, in general, are just uh, efficient with, uh, with all the things you set out to do. And uh, we see there is uh, a very common threat along um, or in the top fields, right? The top managers and top uh, leaders. And um, what I will say is that when some trade, like in in psychology, we always say like a personality trait. What what does it mean, right? It's um, a personality trait. Is the translation would be it is a 
uh, a tendency to show certain behavior. So it means it's not like you're a conscientious person, so you're conscientious in every situation, right? It just means that you tend to be very organized and you tend to be um, very systematic more often than not. So obviously, since people are very... Um, how people, they learn by modeling others, right? So a child learns by modeling their mother and their close, um, or its close relatives. So we can, like by making a big environmental change, our personality uh, sort of traits can develop further or being sort of dampened, right? So someone who has a, is a very conscientious person, probably if they had never the opportunities, right? It's the environmental uh, opportunities to, to foster this, they will never develop uh, or make a career out of it or have like the, the social, uh, so this, yeah, just the social setup for this, right? So it's always, um, personality is always like our strong tendencies, but it's never like fixed. You can never say that every leader is super conscientious, like there is a big trend, but I'm sure there are exceptions, right? The environment plays a big role too. Yeah, and okay, so this is, this is a great lead because this is something that I, I personally just, just always found really fascinating that, um, for example, when I was in uni and they put, put us in different group settings and uh, we had to work together as a group on some assignment. And it was so clear within 10 seconds, like what kind of roles formed, like which, which were the people who were the bossy types, which were the ones who were kind of sitting in the background. So, I mean that kind of always made me think that there must be some sort of wiring. But at the same time, I always wondered, like, how much is this just training throughout their childhood? So uh, in your opinion, like when we are talking about these um, genetic or very much um, just traits that are not kind of shaped by, by conscious training, like, do you think it's something that you're born with? Or is it just something that had been developed as a, at a very, very young age? Um it can be both, right? So as I, as I mentioned before, some traits like can be developed. Like um, you can be, I don't know, an assertive person. Um, for example, like I could be a naturally assertive person in a group setting. And this has always come to me naturally as a child. I always wanted to be like the first one to be picked and uh, at sports class or something. Uh, I, I always like, for example, if I'm assertive, I always... Um, said my opinion openly and I'm very like extroverted and but uh, the thing is this like even though as an adult for example uh, you are maybe naturally introverted or not as assertive if you train yourself to show the behavior like if you uh, actually consciously want to be more assertive uh, it might feel like if you if you try this out then you're in a group and you try to be more assertive it sort of might never <laughs> feel as natural, like as, as if it belonged to you, you know, this behavioral aspect belonged to you. But you can actually uh, still, you know, give a talk, be assertive, and people will believe you in most of the cases, right? So people uh, just generally see the overt behavior that you show. So if you act as if you were confident and assertive uh, in general, people will be likely to believe you, sort of. And in that case, like, for example, some people might be bad public speakers because they lack natural assertiveness or extroversion, but they can develop this so that they, uh, yeah, let's say they in their 
usual life, they are very introverted and are not very social. But as soon as they get uh, on a stage, right, or talk about topics that they um, are very passionate about, they have trained themselves to, yeah, to sort of um, tap into a different personality matrix, right? So into a different personality uh, trait group, I'd say. Yeah? So it is definitely trainable, in my opinion, to a large part. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So I I finally understood what 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 you meant that. Um, you might have, you might have personality traits that just never, you, you've just never been able to express them. So you might, you might be under the impression that you have a certain personality trait, whereas in reality it's just the, maybe the environment suppressed it. Uh, like, like one funny example that, that comes to mind is like, I can think back of several times in my life where I just find my, found myself in some really cool social setting or social group and compared to myself I was very outgoing very talkative very loud but still people just out of the blue started referring to me as you know quiet or shy or whatever and probably because like with subtle things I still gave it away that I'm more of an introverted person Um, but compared to myself I was really crazy extroverted so that's very interesting yeah Um, so Next thing I, I uh, want to uh, delve into, which is more of a kind of a specific topic, or no, like just one other thing I want to touch on is that you, if, if I'm interpreting what you're saying correctly, um, some people, um, some people might get to the level that other people are with like conscious training. So as you said, maybe I'm a bad per, uh, public speaker, uh, but I'm training myself to get better at it. I may get to the point where to the outside viewer, I'm just as good as someone who is, who has been just a natural talker throughout all his life. But what I'm feeling internally, there's still that added level of like deliberate, uh, element to it that the other person doesn't have because for him or her, it comes completely naturally. So first, uh, like big topic I want to cover, uh, with you and we'll see how long it will actually take is that. Um, there's this age old saying, of course, that, you know, I may not have as much talent as you, I may not be, you know, as gifted, but I can work so much harder than you are. But, um, is hard work and is being motivated and driven, is that also a talent in a way? What, what's the deal there in your opinion? Um, yeah, so being motivated is very broad, right? You can also be motivated to do drugs. So, um, (laughs) It's in general, like if we talk about hard work, what we classify nowadays as hard work, meaning uh, being able to sit long hours at one task, right? So being very organized. Um, this is actually what I talked about before. Those are a lot of behaviors that would fall under the trait of conscientiousness. So um, you could argue that hard work um, is a behavioral trend, right? It's a personality trait. But... Um, what I would say is that um, depending on, um, as, as we talked before about opportunities, right? So let's say one person is not a natural hard worker and never seems to be, I don't know, doing anything for a lot, much longer than a month. But then as soon as they find sort of a, they go into a different country, they, they meet a new person, right? Then certain sort of latent uh, capabilities that they had sort of, uh, yeah, under under covered under the surface, can uh, come up, right? They can uh, 
for example, they meet a new person, and then they suddenly motivated to do sports, right? It happens to a lot of people. So they go and get, or they get into fitness, right? We talk about fitness, and they make a complete makeover from a completely lazy person to a disciplined and engaged and uh, conscientious person. So um, for some people, I think there is a lot of possibility for big triggers, right? It might even be a negative event, let's say. For some people, they're... A uh, close relative dies, and they suddenly get a, a sort of personality growth out of that. Right? So there's a lot of uh, research on war veterans and right? post-traumatic um, growth, um, which is called. And um, yeah, that's a very interesting topic where people can make these crazy shifts, even though they have lived their life in a certain way. And uh, I find that fascinating. And yeah. Is there something you want to touch specifically on? Yeah, like one thing I find very, very interesting is that like some people are, it, it almost seems like they have this sense of urgency at all times, which other people don't have. Because I think objectively, all people know more or less what they should do. So, you know, I think, for example, a person who wastes an entire afternoon doing nothing, just, you know, laying on the couch and watching TV, I don't think that person objectively thinks that that's the right thing to do. Like most probably that person also knows that he could spend his time much more productively. But then there there is another person for whom it just com- comes completely like automatically as, as a compulsion to do kind of quote unquote the right thing. And like and, and for other people, it, it seems to come more in, in waves. Like maybe they have an epiphany at one moment that like, fuck, like I'm wasting so much time. I should be more productive. So like. I don't know, like, what What do you think about this? Like, why, why is this sense of urgency with some people? Well, this sense of urgency is, uh, I would translate that to into a feeling of intrinsic motivation. So they are very motivated to just uh, do it without any specific reason. They just feel like uh, they have to do it, right? They just, it's automatic, what you said. And, um, yeah, where can we start? Um since we talked about different personality t- uh, traits, there is also a big difference in, for example, um, psychologically how people, um, what the mood of a person is. Right. So some people fluctuate a lot in their mood. They get deep, uh, deep winter depression states, sort of where they're unmotivated to do anything. They hardly get out of bed for a couple of weeks or months, even. And then over the summer they get. Uh, more and more sort of enthusiastic about projects. And this is something that differs from person to person. Some people are more stable and some people are more sort of emotionally bouncy and reactive. In general, for example, women uh, tend to be on the bouncier side compared to men, which are generally more stable. But obviously, like, just because there are gender differences doesn't mean there are interpersonal differences in general. So um, that's one big part, like this uh, sort of like stable mood but then also um uh if we sort of engage in behavior and it uh it is very how should i say it is very rewarding at the beginning uh it might get such a deep like what in my opinion what people call intrinsic motivation uh, is very fascinating because it actually refers to a feeling of um being self-efficacy right so of self-efficiency, in my opinion. So let's say, uh, for example, somebody gets really, really good, like starts out to play basketball and 
struggles at the beginning, but keeps at it and works hard at it because he just feels like he needs to you know, nail a few more shots or a few techniques until he gets good. And then he reaches a point where he is, um, is at a level where he feels like he can really change something, right? He feels like he is um, he's actively causing a difference in the world, right? Such a feeling of causality is actually what children crave from the first uh, from the first day that they are born. For example, a baby crying and getting attention is sort of a reinforcement of just being uh, efficacious in the world. As as weird as that sounds, right? So, for example, a child banging uh, his hand on the table just because it makes a cool sound is actually exciting for the for the child because it knows, oh, I can actually do stuff in this world. And this is a very, very big part for uh, psychological health is that you have the feeling that you actually, if you put your mind to something, if you decide to do something, that uh, it has an effect in the world. You know, and, and, and a lot of this can be sort of be can be screwed up in your educa- in your upbringing. Your parents never let you do stuff by yourself and never reinforce if you did something yourself, like you did something creatively and always, you know, just want to know, just follow us and do it like we do it. Then this gets sort of buried, right? this uh, feeling of self-efficacy. And this is, uh, in my opinion, a large part of, of intrinsic motivation. So in, uh, because we talked about, okay, yeah. Actually, you can. Uh, I'll, I'll let you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, it it, ju- it just made me think. Uh, like, um, yeah. So you're saying that that with our education, we can screw this process process up, and and so like, because I always thought of um, self efficacy as as a feeling of you can basically a self belief, like a belief that you can solve things, and if you decide on something. Then you you will actually follow through. It's basically the um, a, a belief in your own decisions. That that's how I always thought of self efficacy. Is that not is, is that the wrong way to, to think about it? No, that's that's about right. That's about right. So the the belief that you can like achieve something with your efforts. Right. Is the problem. Right. Condition. So could it could it be that um, or, or maybe 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 let's let's put a more uh, positive spin on it. So so let's I don't know. Let's try to give some something actionable. So if some someone is um, in a in kind of kind of this spiral of they just can't really get anything done. They they decide on things, but then they screw up. Um, first of all, let's like let's identify the problem. Like what what is likely to be going on here? Is it just uh, a it could could be just a lack of strategy. It could be just um, like not not being prepared for what you actually want to do but then it could also be this like kind of like a mental blockage that takes place like you don't really believe that you can do it or like what do you think mm, yeah that's a difficult question like if you, if you ask the type of guy that always starts something that never actually follows through yeah i'd say like for one there can be uh, yeah a big um as we talked about, a big sort of uh, from his personality, there's not as uh, much conscientiousness or as much of a of a natural sort of aroused. Um, they're not as of aroused of a type as others, but um, obviously, it can also be the case that, for example, like with lots of uh, eating disorders, I see this uh, because I we talk a lot about eating disorders in psychology. Also, uh, 
is that uh, people actually are running away from something. So they are not uh, they are not as cliche as it sounds, like following their heart, following what they what they um, what their tendencies tell them to do, and what they're good at, and um, where they see that they can excel. But actually, they're just fleeing from some something that they are not willing to deal with. For example, uh, a relative dies, uh, or some other bad thing happens. Then, for people to gain a sense of control, they just um, don't eat. Right? They just find a way to to, to control something so that they uh, get this feeling of uh, control of being efficacious back, right? to bring it back to self-efficacy. So that um, th- that feeling of control, I think, plays a big part. Like, if you say, uh, why can't you follow through with something? It could also be that um, that the person has, like, a, a big tolerance for ambiguity. Some people have, like, uh, the high-risk takers. They're just uh, mentally so stable that they're fine with, uh, you know, putting all their money on the table just to, to double it up. And if they lose it, bah, I don't care. Like, I'll risk it. And for some people, no, they, they just uh, can't handle the stress, right, that this would cause them. So there are large differences in how, how much, um, how should I say, how much ambiguity we tolerate in our work life, in our social life, with our relationships, whether we create a more stable relationship, for example, or a more... Um, a fair-based multitude of girls. So obviously you can always go through phases, but I'd say that's a big one, like tolerating ambiguity and that coupled with uh, certain personality traits and your drive, like your natural arousal levels, if you're an energetic person or if you tend to fluctuate more, all that I think plays a role here. So, But it's obviously a very hard thing to answer. Uh, right. Shortly. No, that, 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 that is actually a very good point. Like if I'm thinking about... The stuff that I tend to procrastinate on, they're all things where it's not it's not a clear cut step action step series that I, I need to complete. It's it's something yeah, exactly. that, okay, I do that, but what is gonna happen after that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um so uh let's uh talk about um we since we talked a lot about motivation. Um, we talked about extrinsic and intrinsic motivation. What what do you think is the um, when you know when uh, I don't know how it was when I mean now you're part of the Bayesian team. But one thing that really uh, was memorable for me when I was taking the Bayesian PT course is uh, this concept of enthusiasm versus motivation. And and then I, I actually thought about that. Okay, enthusiasm is probably when you're really fired up after like watching some inspirational movie or motivational video or, or something like this. And, and motivation is kind of the long-term fuel that sustains you over the long-term and makes you do the right things. So how do you, how do you view these, the difference between these two things, enthusiasm and, and motivation? Um, yeah, I'd say that enthusiasm, like to define it more narrowly, is just a, an extraordinary, like euphoric type, mood state, right? a big spike in your emotions. And obviously a big spike in emotions can have like the tendency to uh, for you to engage in a certain behavior, right? That triggered sort of this enthusiastic um, uh, type of feeling. Right? So it's a, it's a big, big short-term motivator. So the definition of motivation then would be in general, um, what is motivation? Motivation is the reason why we engage in the behavior. So that could be short-term, that could be long-term, that could be lifetime. And there is always a multitude 
of um, of reasons why we engage in behavior. And I would say that, as we talked about earlier, the example that a big emotional spike, be it negative or positive, like someone dying or someone uh, celebrating something or some other big event that happens, might uh, give the person such a big push in a direction that they uh, that they engage, like. In, in a certain behavior, in work, in training, and healthy eating, eating habits, for example, that uh, the results that they then see, like by this by this extrinsically motivated enthusiasm that they that push them into there, or for example, getting fit for girls or getting fit to have like a six pack on the beach, which is actually very extrinsic and has nothing to do with deeper values, but it can like motivate you to to pursue uh, the behavior that you do to get the six-pack in a more intrinsic way. So there can be uh, there can be like a mixture, right, at the beginning of extrinsic and it's intrinsic motivation. So you actually might enjoy like going every day to the gym, even though it's painful. You feel like um, you're working on yourself. You feel it, uh, it, it just makes sense in your, in your view of the world. So that's a big part that it, uh, that everybody, you know, has a, has a, model of the world and at certain stages in their life depending on their circumstances and personality as we talked about it can certain things can make more sense and can be more rewarding and reinforcing and that other times they might be completely uh, ignored right so if another priority comes up for a year boom the behavior is gone but then like as soon as the situation stabilizes the behavior comes back because it um, now fits again that's what I would say about enthusiasm and long-term motivation. Yeah, yeah. It, um, it's interesting because when you look at certain people like like Gary Gary Vaynerchuk and some of these influencer type, Tony Robbins, you know, like they're always super energetic, super fired up, and it almost seems like they are in this constant state of enthusiasm like it seems like it's more than just motivation it's like they're always they wake up every day super energetic and super high energy like i don't know yeah that that's the, definitely though a big point like that for example like these are complete outliers right these are like um gary vaynerchuk's and uh, and tony robbins obviously there is a big bias because we only see them on uh social media so that could be biased towards like that they're actually more energetic than when they wake up and go through their every day but definitely, like, there are big differences in uh, how energetic, which, which would be your base levels of arousal um, that you have, right? But the thing is this, like, being aroused is not the only ingredient, like, being high energy. Because if you are high energy, but uh, your wiring is such that um, your high energy actually makes you paranoid, right? Your overactivation is not uh, experienced as a positive mood state, but it is experienced as a... Uh, as a negative, like for example, neuro, with your neurotransmitters, if your dopamine gets too high, uh, that could trigger hallucinations, right? Like amphetamines, for example, do. And so it's uh, it, it cannot be generalized. It needs to be a big uh, for someone like Tony Robbins. I think uh, you need to have a certain uh, cocktail of uh, of neurotransmitters and of your yeah your biology in general, so that you could display something like like that guy does. So. Uh, that's definitely uh, a big part of them is uh, personality fixed based like with, uh, yeah. yeah yeah so so basically the message is that 
they are either not always like this because we just see the highlight reel of they or if they are always like this and they're always that high energy then they are outliers and that's yeah. just the reality it's basically very very healthy people so they they're like for them it's very easy to think positively and to as we talked like tolerate risks and uh, being very extroverted being very comfortable talking to lots of people you know being very dominant dominance is a very big trait there so um yeah, definitely. All right. So um, if we want to take something like dieting as an example, which involves a lot of self-restriction, it's not always fun. You have to say no to things that you would otherwise do. So it requires some constant degree of self-discipline. And uh, if people want to have a sense of urgency at all times or they want to feel motivated to be on track towards your goals at all times – like, what would be a couple of uh, practical strategies uh, that you think um, we could recommend them to to keep in mind or to try out when, you know, when things get rough and they don't always feel motivated to do the right things? Um, yeah, well, dieting is definitely a case where you want to have a good plan and not only a plan, but also like a couple of tools, a couple of strategies that you can uh, implement when things get tough, right? So when things actually don't go according to plan, something comes up, for example. So a good tracker record in research do um, implementation intentions have. So implementation intentions is uh, simply a very complex term for simple if-then sentences that you like, that you come up with before something happens and where you plan to. Um, to do something that's very specific in that situation, right? So sounds very complicated, but it's just very simple. It means, for example, if I am very stressed after work and come home, then I will um, eat my prepared fruit salads. Right? So it's uh, it's in that situation, like you might come home from work and you. Instead of just coming up with something to eat in that moment where you might make, don't have the cognitive resources to make a good decision, like to, you're, in that case, you're not remembering your higher values, you're just uh, going by feel in the moment. So then it helps, like, oh, okay, right? So stressed, I made already made the connection or the strategy to eat my fruit salad. In that case, it also helps uh, to have something prepared, obviously. So this is generally something that you uh, want to be aware. For example, also when not only when dieting, but in general, whenever you have a big project coming up, that um, the way you feel in the moment, like your mood, um, you uh, always project onto your future and past thoughts. Right? So what this means is that we are very, very bad at predicting how we are going to feel, for example, in a week from now. So if we are in a bad mood right now, we probably um, think that this is going to last forever. I'm ne never going to uh, get this done, and uh, I just I'm just not motivated. It's not working, right? It can even go the other direction. It can go like oh, I'll just do this tomorrow because maybe tomorrow I'll be more motivated, right? So it's like um, this this big bias that we have in psychology is called forecasting bias. So our um, mood like we always uh, think we can predict our mood and our motivation levels our enthusiasm levels i would say 
very well, but it's um, it's actually very uh, biased by the moment, by the mood that you're experiencing right now. So, for example, like if you are having almost like a, a headache, a mild headache from working long hours, and you come home and you think everything sucks, but then you take a cold shower and suddenly the world looks great again. So uh, that's just an example of how the whole world can change as soon as your um, your arousal level changes, right? You take a cold shower, which is just big energy boost in that case. Uh, so, yeah, Abel, anything else you want to... Uh, touch on in that regard it's very i think it's very interesting and i think it um implementation intentions those can like even go the other way around like so for example you make a promise to yourself that you will do something so for example you will i don't know go to the gym every day or uh, maybe that's the wrong wrong example because people are generally who are listening to this or or, that's too general yeah they need to be specific yeah yeah so so yeah. let's say you are setting yourself a, a goal of whatever a calorie target that you will hit each day when you're dieting so let's say you will have hit 2200 calories on a diet and um but you know maybe on some days you just are on on your feet a lot or um some things are going on and you're just ravenously hungry. And maybe then you can set yourself like a condition in which you're allowing yourself an additional, I, I don't know, 300 calories or something. So I will hit 200 ca- 2,200 calories unless this happens or something, right? Exactly. And it can also, that, that's just a, a very practical example, but it can, or a very um, immediate example, but it can also work for thought patterns that you have. Like if you find yourself, if you find yourself to be a very uh, worrisome person, right? So you tend to have lots of irrational worries. For example, if you go over your calories on one day, as you said, uh, like if you catch yourself like having these uh, overblown thoughts, like "Oh, I'm gonna fail my diet," and "Whoa, I'm uh, I'm just uh, gonna screw this up again." Like if you uh, predetermine to uh, to make it a habit that every time such a thought comes up. Um, maybe to, I don't know, to write it down or to look over your diet journal. Like, for example, if a thought like this XYZ comes up, I'm going to look over my diet journal that I kept and see that actually 90 out of, I don't know, 100 days I made good uh, progress or I kept very on track. So in the long term, this is not going to be a big deal. So it can work for thoughts and thought patterns as well. Yeah, and this is, this is actually a good point that Many times, um, many times when you're about to screw something up, so, you know, classic example, binging on a diet or, you know, overeating a little bit and then sliding into trouble. Uh, of course, you know, we can use a lot of pop psychology terms like what the hell effect and, and those kinds of things. But I think oftentimes it, it comes down to that one critical moment of either catching yourself on the way of sliding down and catching yourself when that slide is really minor or actually letting that slide, you know, turn into a major fall into, you know, nothingness. So, yeah. Um, and that actually is a, is a, is a what, what you just mentioned is a good point to bring up something else. So you mentioned um, uh, looking back at your past progress. And, you know, when, when you have uh, some nice momentum build up, built up and you can look back at past progress, that's very encouraging and that's why people recommend keeping uh, journals that's why people recommend for example keeping a calendar and putting red x's on every every day when you have accomplished your goals 
Um, but of course, getting to that point is the biggest challenge. So getting started is really tough. So when you have no past progress to look back on and then getting started with something, dieting again is a, is a good example, that can be very, very tough. So um, what can we recommend to people about just getting started uh, and getting through that initial resistance? Because that's a big part of the, the game, right? So, um, yeah, the, this uh, in general, with every habit that you try to adopt, it's obviously the first few weeks are going to be the hardest. And you actually, uh, from like neurologically, your body, it will literally be perceived for your brain as physical pain. Like, for example, doing a hard type of work or engaging in um, activities that you're not used to doing, it literally will feel like a threat to your brain. So you have to understand that this sort of pain period at the beginning is there. That's step one, in my opinion. And then step two, you have to um, make sure that you can that you uh, control or that you engage in um, sort of a, a process where you can make lots of small decisions like that you build this sort of self-efficacy that we talked about before. So, for example, like don't take on too much. With habits, you should never take on too much, right? Because uh, then you like cannot control everything and it, it goes overboard. But, for example, doing very uh, simple sort of, um, for example, if someone has never tracked calories, right? Just the fact that he is tracking calories now can be um, a self, like an empowering thing for them so that they... Uh, for a few days, they can make a check mark that they are actually tracking calories, and then they might uh, they might start tracking their protein, then they might start even tracking their fats and carbs, and then some people track their activity, and, and all these kinds of things. Like, don't overblow it, right? So, let certain things sink in, like do them consistently for a while until they get habitual, and yeah, in general, always try to um, to um, when dieting or when when faced with any task, try to break it down into actionable steps where you can uh, actively, consciously make decisions on. Right? So, okay, today I did um, my 30,000 steps, right? Uh, you can check it off right? or write it down. or um, You have a, a, a protocol of what you're doing. You're not like <clears throat> a victim of the moment or how you feel in the moment and one day is good and one day is bad, right? So you uh, slowly build it up. Then over a couple of months, you can look back and say, whoa, it's a lot of uh, work or a lot of uh, um, things I did in my protocol that look so big now, but actually were not that big of a deal. Right? So that's how what I would say about that. Yeah. And and another thing, um, I mean, we, we didn't didn't plan to talk about this. It just came to mind as a random thought that this uh, this concept of starting small it's, uh, you know, I, I've read this book, Mini Habits. It was a cool book, and I mean, I think I'll review it at some point. But it's basically it was just about this concept of people are just like unwilling to settle for small changes initially. Like there is this compulsion, inner compulsion to start really big and to overhaul everything. And of course, I mean, to use again a dieting analogy that's kind of like setting a, whatever, you know, a 1200 calorie deficit as opposed to a 500 one to just get the job done as quickly as possible. It's an understandable, um, understandable impulse. Like everybody wants results as fast as possible. But I think like some, sometimes it's kind of, it's almost like a matter of self-restraint, like just accepting the reality that 
that you're not capable of keeping up with certain things. In an ideal world, uh, you would be. But it's, it's a matter of accepting the fact that you're not living in this alternate, you know, ideal universe. It's really interesting for me. I think it's fascinating. I think what, what you touch upon there can be also uh, defined as like finding the balance between self-discipline and self-acceptance or self-compassion. Right? So you, there are people who tend to be very self-disciplined but uh, never forgive themselves for anything and are very neurotic about it. And if something goes wrong, then uh, they go completely crazy and like uh, they never actively tell to themselves like have the self-talk of no it's fine you did all your work uh, you did the best you can right um, and other people like they are they're just uh, chilling each day and they don't seem to have any self-discipline like lots of self-acceptance but no self-discipline uh, which is also something that probably in a world like ours is not gonna work unless uh, someday everything is being taken care of and we can just uh, chill in the woods and meditate <laughs> it's uh, definitely some interesting concept yeah. yeah yeah i think just like with many things there is always a kind of a sweet spot and a balance like a lot in a lot of these comps concepts like for example accepting who you are that's a good that's a good advice until it's not like yeah sure accept who you are but not to the point where you're giving up on all your ambitions for example that's that's one example that yeah. comes to mind to me a lot. Next thing that uh, we noted that we could we, we could uh, talk about is um, mm -hmm. this concept of uh, journaling and uh, writing down thoughts that you have or concerns that you have, uh, identifying negative loops that you may be getting into. Um, like, in, in, what, what is your experience with this kind, kind of thing or what have you read about this concept or mm -hmm. its usefulness? So journaling is funny because journaling has a very, very broad application, especially in, 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 all, um, in, in all fields of psychology. So, for example, in cognitive behavioral therapy, where um, people are treated that have uh, depression, like that uh, so are suffering from very negative thought patterns each and every day, and they cannot seem to get out of it. Uh, or even with dieting, like as we talked about dieting, keeping a journal is uh, so powerful that even just uh, no matter what you actually write in your journal, it doesn't have to be perfect, right? But just the fact that you are consistently um, putting your thoughts into words, this process uh, is actually uh, something that is uh, keeps you on better on track with your diet, like keeping a log, for example, and can also uh, be a help for really stru giving structure to your mental world. So that sounds a bit weird, but uh, it, it's just uh, you can view it as a tool for sort of like as a uh, as a program for your computer that does uh, you know that cleans the cache, right? So your uh, every day you go through different mood states and you accumulate lots of bullshit along with your uh, best thoughts. There come some bullshit thoughts and some random shit that you pick up, but uh, then at night you run uh, this filter, right? you run this program through which is you write down i don't know the most uh the best thoughts you had the most bullshit thoughts you had you, you just write something from what you remember from this day down and then uh, if you look it over for example the next day you might have a completely completely different um like you might ask yourself like how could i think this or how could i write this so it uh, it actually puts your your thoughts in a in a in perspective and you can be it's almost like you if you write stuff down and then read it later, it's as if you were talking to yourself, like from a 
from a whole other level, right? You're not caught up so much in the moment or how you feel in the moment, but you can really, almost as if you were talking to a friend, you could, um, uh, you can give him advice or you can look over what he's doing and, and structure stuff just better, right? So the same goes if you have, like, as we talked about before, a diet. Just uh, being on a diet, you have to, to do all those different things, right? You have to track macros here, you have protein here. Just try to, you know, write it down and make three or four big pillars, what you have to do, right? You have to think about your protein, you have to think about your calories, you have to think about, okay, after work, the situation we talked about before, what can I do there? And then you just give it structure, and then you write, I don't know, one or two bullet points, how you can uh, organize this, and then sometimes it relieves so much stress because you just uh, put it on paper and you just, uh, uh, yeah, externalize it and give it structure. And... Um, so one technique that I've learned from a psychologist during my uh, uh, learning years was, for example, that um, anytime you face a difficult decision, where you're not sure if you're deciding rationally because you're just uh, very emotional in the moment, uh, there a simple technique would be to just um, imagine that uh, a, f- a very close friend of yours has this problem and what would you, in that case, advise to your friend in that, uh, in that situation? So this actually uh, gives you sort of this uh, zoomed out view, right? Without the emotions, like, oh, of course, if my friend was in a um, fucked up relationship, I would, uh, of course, tell him, like, look, here, you for three months, you were unhappy or four months, this can't go on, blah, blah, blah. Right? So you have a super objective view, whereas um, if you, uh, if you <laughs> reflect about this yourself, you're always, always biased by yourself, right? Because uh, everybody thinks that they're special. <laughs> which is kind of true but it also distorts your thinking because no i'm different so this doesn't apply to me right? very common thought so um yeah it's uh, what i have to say about that yeah journaling to me is really fascinating like i kind of the way i phrase it i mean kind of you phrase it the same way but the way i think about it is just kind of like taking a mental detox in a sense. Like I always analogize it to like taking a dump after you've been constipated for a long time. And, you know, I think that we are kind of naturally given this opportunity when we were kids. Uh, You know, if we were fortunate, we had parents to talk to and uh, we could always share our problems with them and they could give a different viewpoint on everything that was going on for us. And even, you know, the more fortunate um, people among us have friends that we can share these things with. But, you know, let's be real, a lot of people don't. You know, it's not necessarily that they don't have friends. Maybe they do have friends, but, but, you know, most friends don't give a shit about you per se. I mean, they want to have fun with you. They are happy to go out for drinks and, you know, play soccer or, or whatever, but they don't want to hear about your, your problems. I mean, they have their own problems to, to think about. So I think uh, journaling in this kind of a context is almost like the poor man's version of, of going to a psychologist. I mean, if you can't afford that, then just capturing your thoughts and putting in, capturing your thoughts and putting them on paper is, is a really good way to kind of uh, get those poisonous stuff out of your mind every once in a while so they don't just, you know, eat you up from the inside. And, and the other thing I want to touch on is that there's probably a repetition component to all of this. So that's one thing to write it down for yourself one time. Like, what would I say to a friend if he, he or she was in the same position? But that will probably not be enough. That's a, that's a very nice affirmation one time, but you have to repeat it a sufficient amount of times to kind of create that rewiring effect. Definitely. Like, and as we talked about before with the, with the journaling, uh, it's only 
or it's most effective if you just if you do it regularly, right? So it not not only uh, overt behavior like behavior that you can uh, that you can observe is uh, has the potential to become a habit, but also thinking patterns can become a habit. So and if you can plant the seed, sort of that you um, that you find the triggers that uh, trigger your negative thinking, and then can plant the seed that slowly first through self-awareness and then through practice can um, uh, reframe yourself in a more positive way uh, then uh, yeah definitely it's, it's it becomes a habit right it becomes a habit of thinking and for some people it's more easy because they have the genetic makeup to you know think positively it comes easy to them but for others it's harder and for most it's like in between so you always gotta do the best you can but uh, definitely working on yourself or working on um, like not being a, a very big thing is not being um, limited by your own experience of the world um, in the sense that, yeah, try to get opinion from outside and try new things, right? So if, if someone gives you advice, maybe just like blindly trust it and try it out. Maybe you, you thought, no, this would never work on me, but actually you might be surprised that uh, some stuff actually completely uh, changes certain views that you have, right? The older you get, the more um, the more fixed your views become, and it's, it's always good to uh, be mentally flexible to keep yourself young, also on a psychological level. Yeah, and, and I, I just talked about the, this on a recent podcast that personal development books are oftentimes not very actionable. They are f- full of fillers, and you know, many times they are just not that useful. But they can be a very useful exercise in the sense that you're reading them every night before falling asleep and you're always kind of reminding yourself of the changes that you want to make. And that can, in a sense, be a, a very nice repetitive exercise to create this uh, rewiring in your brain and in your uh, thought patterns, I guess. Exactly. It just reinforces uh, the person that you want to be, right? So every time um, that you, like, I, I think Aristotle said that learning, no matter what, um, uh, is rewarding uh, in itself because it's just we're wired to learn new stuff. And uh, like I noticed from university, if you're learning something new and then you get new insights, no matter the topic, uh, you actually feel a sense of you know a sense of control, a sense of ease, a sense of well-being. I think that's why it's important to always learn something, to have hobbies where you can learn something, learn new skills, and to make your life in a way that you can. Um, that you always try on so many new things that you can experience this a lot, this feeling of, oh, I'm learning something. Because if you're very deep in only one topic, it might be very, uh, you know, dragful to always, oh, there's not much new, all right, yeah. Like, for example, I delved so deep into stress psychology that I was almost like, oh, all right, like, um, I'm just uh, bored by this. It's like, it either got too complicated or it was uh, not as rewarding as it was in the beginning. So, for example, for me, it's much more rewarding nowadays to do as a hobby, to go um, play snooker, for example. Like, just learn a completely new skill, I think. It's one of the uh, best things you can do. Like, it's also what people do in therapy, right? They just uh, make people draw something, be creative, you know, as, uh, as basic as that sounds. But, yeah, just always learn. And um, the same goes with, like, mastery, right? So, I think I read this in Robert Greene's book. It's also called like the same title, mastery. Uh, that no matter uh, which master you learn from, it doesn't matter because all mastery simply uh, the mastery over yourself, right? So every master in every field has learned 
to conquer uh, himself or herself. So that's why you can always learn from, from sort of master people in every group. Yeah, and, and what I want to mention about this is is that if people are not sure how they can start doing this, so obviously if you, you're in, on a Sunday afternoon, you're at home with your laptop and you're just Googling around on the internet and you could do so many things, you could learn so much stuff by Googling the right stuff. It can be, I guess, very paralyzing and confusing. People are not really sure how to get started on this. You know, just sign up for a lot of things, you know, just make yourself crazy busy, you know, take music lessons or sign up for appointments with people. Just basically, if you're not sure how to start, then just force this learning component into your life by just packing your schedule full of stuff that do have these learning elements. So, you know, just make yourself busy. Don't leave this to chance, I would say. Exactly. Like try to trick yourself by doing something external so that it can then become an intrinsic motivation, like as we talked before, or at the beginning of the of the, of the talk. Yeah, that's definitely a good strategy. Uh, also for um, yeah, just set yourself deadlines, but not only deadlines that you can change on the fly, but like literally tell a friend that uh, you know leverage it by I don't know money, you give him money, and he doesn't give it uh, back to you if you don't uh, match the deadline, or just do it, like use those little tricks. Which, uh, yeah, are just the ba most basic form of uh, extrinsic motivation, right? You don't want to get punished. You don't want to experience a negative, um, a negative um, event, sort of, right? So it's it's um, be it negative or positive emotion. It's always uh, a reason to engage in a behavior that you want to uh, engage in. So I think in that case, like uh, it's always a good thing that you can like. It's just good to know that there are many uh, types of. Uh, tools you can use to motivate yourself if you're not intrinsically motivated get right from the get-go yeah, and a concrete example from my case is the reason i started doing this uh, high volume high frequency podcasting uh, maybe i should call it bayesian podcasting actually <laughs> don't plan any deloads <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no but the reason why i started doing it is because if you give yourself really strict deadlines like you have to pump out an episode a day then in a sense it makes it very unambiguous what you have to do like if you have to pump out an episode a day, if you have a really you know, close deadline, then it doesn't fucking matter what kind of productivity system you come up with. If you have managed to complete that task for that day, you had to have come up with something, some kind of schedule or productivity system that had to make sense because otherwise you wouldn't have been able to accomplish it. Mm. So the last topic I want to touch on because I find this to be a very fascinating topic is... Um, acute strategies to pump yourself up or make yourself acutely enthusiastic or motivated. So strategies such as watching YouTube videos or listening to motivational soundtracks or even using substances like caffeine. You know, I see it's very interesting for me because I see people succeeding on both strategies. So I do see people who use all of this stuff and just go crazy with the motivational tracks and everything. And there are other people who don't do any of this stuff. In fact, Often they think that these things are just stupid um, and they don't need to do any of that stuff to remain you know, productive and you know, ultimately uh, successful. So what, what are your thoughts on this? Um, yeah, this, this is like one of the most uh, individual topics, I would say, um, because like you have these, yeah, as you said, like you have people who always need to pump themselves up and then you have people who find it super stupid that this guy listens to, I don't know, some rap music saying you need to hustle, hustle, hustle every day. But um, uh, I think it comes down to um, there are different, like people have different 
levels of arousal that they go through the day, right? They're differently, um, their activation levels, their, their baseline, which, which you could call energy levels, right? Their, their arousal levels, like their heart rate, their, their sympathetic activation. Just, um, for some people, for me, for example, it fluctuates very, it fluctuates very hard. For example, I get a big boost in the morning. Uh, and then I get a huge, huge fall in the, during the noon hours where I could like literally after lunch, I could literally just lay down for three to four hours and do nothing at all. And then in the evening, I'm actually very productive and feel creative again. So these would be, and for some people, like it's, it's, it's the opposite. Like they wake up groggy and then it goes better and better. And then in the evening, it fades off again. But, um, this differs from person to person, right? So you have to find, uh, and it can also help like with journaling you write down when you have these active phases when you're more energetic you write it down and then you structure if you if you have the luxury to do this you structure your most difficult tasks right around those times because they just naturally um or it, it just will be easier to do it right if however that's not possible or if you just want if you just need more arousing uh more arousing um, atmosphere or more aroused mood then obviously you can use strategies like uh, drinking coffee, which uh, gets your arousal levels up, and you can listen to motivational music. You can take a cold shower. Like all of these uh, things get you into a different, um, get you in such a different activation level bodily that your mental state follows along usually. So going for a walk or going for a run or doing I don't know uh, twenty burpees with like motivational music or or yelling even like anything that that <clears throat> is very expressive or is a big shock like showering uh can change your sort of um focus levels your, your attention like uh which is also related to your mood right it can change your mood and then um stuff can be easier so i would say like the 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 two big points are find the uh times of the day where you're most energetic and use uh, caffeine and cold showers and motivational music uh strategically depending on your needs yeah, I think uh, you covered this point really well. And, and I think it's one of those things where, you know, if these strategies help you, then why wouldn't you take advantage of them? You know, if you're one of those people who just don't really benefit from this and you do the right things anyway, then, you know, good for you. But if you do manage to do a lot better work each and every day by listening to some guy yelling to you to hustle, 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 then, you know, why wouldn't you make the most of that and enjoy the, the benefits of that kind of a strategy? So, yeah. Okay, Thomas, I think that we covered a lot of cool ground in this episode. So just before we wrap up, uh, maybe we could uh, mention something, some habit or some kind of a strategy that was a big game changer for us or, or at least helped us to, uh, to be more productive and, and uh, just have a better work output or success output in our lives. So maybe you can start, just men mention a strategy that helped you a lot and then I'll follow up. Uh, well, for me, it was definitely uh, taking a cold or uh, not freezing cold, but just a cold shower after lunchtime. That like literally changed my whole uh, <laughs> my whole moods. Like my energy levels are just uh, easily like completely reset, and I can focus again. And uh, it's it's almost like a lifesaver. I would say it's way better than caffeine, way better than everything I've have ever tried before. So definitely super underrated. I think. Yeah, that's a good one actually. What about you? Yeah, for me, there were actually a couple of, of big ones uh, in the past year or so. But one really big one for me is keeping my environment clean. 
Um, and you know, this is actually something that I'm not doing at the moment and I should definitely get back to it. But when I did it, um, it just had such a almost magical impact on, on my overall mood, productivity, just uh, organization mentally, not just in terms of work output, but just in terms of how how big of a tendency I had to fall into more depressive, negative thoughts and, and, and the like. You know, just looking at your room or living room or kitchen um, in a very clean, organized state each and every day when you wake up and you walk into the kitchen to make your morning coffee and everything is nice and organized. That is, I mean, for one, it's just nicer to exist in an environment to begin with. But anytime you look at it, it just reminds you that like, okay, this is me. This is me who created this clean environment. And, you know, as woo-woo as it sounds, but I think in the morning when I walk into the kitchen and it looks like a, a war zone, it's very kind of discouraging. I look at it and it's like, yeah, this this reflects me. This is me who created this mess here. Uh, so for me, that was a really big one. That's why they do it in the military, right? You have to always clean, like always be disciplined, like reinforce this uh, disciplined behavior. It definitely makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, cool. So if we want to conclude this episode or kind of uh, summarize the biggest takeaways or the kind of mini mantras that we want people to uh, keep in mind after this episode, uh, what would you say those points would be for them? Go ahead, Thomas. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, one of the biggest messages I would say is uh, don't always believe in your thinking or how you think about the world. Your thinking can be very biased by a lot of things which uh, are largely out of your or not under your control, like personality, tendencies and stuff. So try to um, to get like more self-awareness. Try to, like as we talked, journal stuff, like try to get organized, try to write things down. Try to um, almost view yourself like more objectively so that you can better assess where you need change and are not as caught up as you often are in the moment so that you actually can create a life that you want to live very cool uh that was a great summary um thomas uh, if uh, people want to find you on the internet check out your work resources and just uh, things that you will be up to uh, in the near future where should they go uh currently yeah i'm doing coaching i'm doing online coaching and i'm uh trying to put out some content on my blog over at campidelcoaching.com and there is more stuff coming soon. I just bought new camera gear. So uh, I'll be posting stuff on Instagram. You can follow me there at Campido Coaching. And yeah, for anybody interested in what I specifically do with coaching and psychology, just shoot me a message. I'm always happy to uh, hear you guys out and meet new people. Awesome. Thomas, uh, it was a pleasure having you on. Thank you, man. It was my pleasure. <laughs>